0: Give the worship team a hand. If you have a Bible, you can open up to 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to read verse 16 in just a minute, and that might be as far as we get. I want to conclude this teaching today about just having a relationship with the Lord, and then next week we're going to go a different direction, but I wanted to just I was meditating on this verse and God showed me some powerful things about it and I wanted to share them with you. The whole point of this series is we want to help your relationship with the Lord and I I want to explain that in order to have a good relationship with somebody, you have to relate to who they really are, not to your imagined picture of them. if you're married or you've been married, you know that, or really any kind of relationship, you tend to sometimes go into some relationships romanticizing the other person. And we often have a picture of what we think the other person is like or, or uh, what maybe they could be like or something like that. And as long as you're trying to relate to somebody other than who the person actually is, there's going to be a disconnect. Mm -hmm. And it's going to bring frustration and confusion and hurt into the relationship. And for marriages to work, or really any relationships to work, you need to be able to honestly look at who the person is you're trying to connect with, their strengths and weaknesses, and accept them for who they are and connect to that person, not to who you want them to be that makes sense? And that's a continual process because we're always learning new things about each other. Right? Molly and I have been married 14 years. We don't know everything there is to know about each other. You're always growing in that process. Well, the Christian life is very similar to that in that God is better than you think He is right now. He's better than you think He is right now, which means that you have a lifelong continual process of repenting of of the way that you have misconceived God so that you can relate with Him better. You can pervert the goodness of God, but you can never exaggerate it. You can twist it, you can explain it in ways that lessen it, but you can't overstate it. The only way to misconceive God is to believe that he is less loving and less good than he actually is. If you have a misconception about God, it is this, that he's less loving than you think he is currently. So, to know god accurately this is a, a big deal we've got to relate to him as the god who is love again if i'm trying to relate to my wife but i have some some picture of her that isn't who she really is we might have some relationship but that picture gets in the way it's like an idol And modern idolatry isn't so much worshiping some statue. It's certainly the worship of money or things like that. But in many cases, for Christians, it's the worship of a picture of God that religion has perverted and is less than he actually is. Now, not that doesn't mean that you need to feel horrible about yourself and think that you're an idolater or something. This is a continual process that we all go through where we're trying to learn who God really is. And God's infinite, and so we have an eternity to learn about this, and it's it's fun. But 1 John 4:16 is maybe the most profound verse in the Bible. Let's read the first section here. It says, We have known and believed the love that God has to us. Everybody say, I have known, I have known. and believed. I have believed. The fact that there's two things there is significant they're not the same often in Paul's writings and various parts of the Bible he'll make a a string of a whole bunch of words and they effectively mean the same thing that's not what's going on here he's saying you need to know and believe the fact that they're both there uh, the implication is that you can do one without the other and the thing that typically happens is you know without believing now what's that mean No, in this context, no, most of the time in the Bible doesn't mean like we think no, like you understand something in your brain. For that culture, no meant Adam knew his wife Eve. It's intimacy, it's experience. So, what it's saying really is for we have experienced and believed the love that God has for us. Okay. What's that mean? It means it's possible, in fact it's probable, (laughs) that we often experience the love of God in a wide variety of ways and yet do not believe that that love comes from Him or that He really loves us. The Scripture says that it rains on the just and the unjust. Rain in the Bible is almost always positive. I know for us it's negative because it's a big pain, but they were an agricultural society, and you need some rain if you're going to grow some crops. He's saying the goodness of God is poured out on the just and on the unjust. What's that mean? Everybody on the planet experiences the love of God, the goodness of God in one way or the other. The trouble is, some people experience but don't believe. Now we know that some people don't believe in Jesus at all, but many Christians have experienced the love of God in a wide variety of ways, and yet we still have this problem in our hearts wherein we don't actually believe that He loves us. Despite the fact that we've experienced it. Then he goes on to say, God is love, we'll come back to that, and he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. That's an amazing statement. He that dwells in love dwells in God. How many of you would like to live in God? How many of you would like to live perpetually in a place where the the presence of God is abiding on you in such a way that that the places around you are transformed, that uh, people become healed and lives become changed and and it's transformative how do you do that this scripture says the way to do that is to dwell is to make your dwelling place your house the love of god for you it's that simple it's not it's not some work it's not some self-effort thing. It's not a bunch of striving. It's not all that. It's how do, I do, how do I dwell in the presence of God? It's to live with an abiding sense that God loves me. It's to meditate on that all day long, to think about it, to remind myself God carries my picture in his wallet. He's for me. I'm his kid. It's to focus on that at all times. When we live with an abiding sense of God's love, we're living in His presence and our hearts are connected with Him. What makes all that possible is that phrase in the middle there where he says, God is love. That's a staggering statement. There's nothing like that in any other religion. It doesn't say that God is loving you'll allow me to be an English teacher for a moment, there's a big difference between saying somebody is an adjective and somebody is a noun. <laughs> Adjectives are descriptors. They describe an aspect of who someone is. If I said to you, Bob is patient, patient is an adjective, you'd think, wow, Bob's a cool guy. I could probably screw up around Bob and he'd be, he'd be chill with it. Because Bob is patient. He's a nice guy. But if I said to you, Bob is patience, that's an entirely different aspect. That's saying if you look up patience in the dictionary, there's a picture of Bob's face. That's saying everything, everything about patience is encompassed in this one person, Bob. The Bible doesn't say God is loving as though that's one aspect of His being. It says He is love. Love is a noun. It it means that everything about God is love. He, He contains everything that we might imagine about love. He's the source and ultimate destination of all that is love in the universe. He doesn't just have love for you. He is love for you. It's who He is. He is love personified. That's a startling concept. It's it's so big I don't even totally know what to say about it. To me, this is one of the strongest reasons I believe that Christianity is is the right conception of God. Because this is the most beautiful possible conception of who God is. I read this book years ago. It's a powerful book. It's called The um, Evidential Power of Beauty by, I think his name is Thomas Dubay. But anyway, in that book, he quotes another, uh, he quotes, I forget, it's either Watson or Crick. So, these guys Watson and Crick they they discovered the structure of, a, of DNA. Uh, you know we know it looks like that funny twisty ladder, right? Well it was it used to be hard to figure out that that that's what it looked like and they had these four uh, chemicals in there and how are they bonded and how do they fit together and these guys were trying to figure it out how these chemicals fit together. What was the structure of DNA? And when they came up with the hypothesis that it looked like a double helix, one of the people made this comment, that has to be right because something that beautiful has to exist. They understood something fundamental about the structure of the universe, which is that underlying all the chaos and pain and and evil and and all this that we see is is a radical, fundamental beauty a crazy beauty that's persuasive. And the poet Keats said that beauty is truth and truth is, is beauty. Beauty persuades us. It tells us what's, what's right. And I'm telling you that the, the conception of a God who is love, who loves you so much that He emptied Himself, that He became as nothing, that He died on a cross, that He suffered unknowable torment just to be in relationship with you, that preaches, that, that proclaims that that God is real. It does. There's nothing else like it in in religion at all. It's it's beyond reckoning. And I believe that one implication of that is that, that God is the source of all love in the universe that exists towards anyone. The sun is the source of all energy on the planet. How many of you know that? All energy on the planet comes from the sun. When you eat, you're eating sunlight. It's just filtered through other stuff. It's either filtered through a plant or something that ate a plant. Right? But the energy comes from the sun. Now, sometimes it gets a little further removed. And so if you go to, if you go to McDonald's, it's, it's not all sunlight in there. You understand that? Okay, I mean, it's, it's a few steps removed, which is, which is why it's not quite as healthy as eating that kale or whatever. Because the, the plant is taking the sun and turning it into energy. Right? And then you eat it. You're eating the sunlight. I'm telling you, anytime you have experienced any kind of love in your life, from anybody, it might not be filtered perfectly. You might be getting, I mean, some of you might be getting the McDonald's of, of love, okay? But, but it, it, it's filtered through people. The love of God is filtered through people and sometimes filtered through circumstances. But I'm telling you, all of us have been loved. All of us have experienced love. And the ultimate source of all love is the Son. It is. And so anytime you feel loved in any way, you, we've got to recognize that, the, that that's God. Yes. The reason I know all of you have been loved is because you're still alive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a horrible story, but I tell it sometimes because I think it it makes an impact, but the, the Nazis did did an experiment with with babies, where they took these babies and they they met all their natural needs. They fed them, they changed them, they they did all this stuff, but they didn't cuddle them, they didn't show them any kind of affection, they didn't they didn't love them. They all died. You, The fact that you're alive means somebody has loved you. And where'd that love come from? It did. You have to know and believe the love of God. Point number three, I do want to make this real quickly. Is That doesn't mean that everything that feels loving but is twisted in some way comes from from the Lord. So you don't get to... You don't get to redefine morality based on what feels loving to you. So, that's a postmodern thing that we've we've done that's not very good. So, but anyway, on the back of your notes. I already said this, but I believe these statements in John, they're they're probably the most profound proof that the Christian view of God's the right one. It pulls on our emotions and it sings because it's true. So what this means is that because God is love and we want to we connect with Him, it means that love is the medium through which He wants to talk to you. If you're expecting Him to use the medium of guilt and shame and condemnation, you're not going to hear Him very well. You're going to be relating to what's effectively an idol. You're going to be relating to a misconception about Him. A great analogy of this is that in your car, you have both AM and FM. How many of you know that, right? And so FM stands for frequency modulation. I know this is a lot of science this this morning, but... For whatever reason this is a science message. So frequency modulation is when you take a, a wave and you compress it and you expand it like this and and just a little bit and that that's like what the code that makes the ones and zeros that talks to your your radio. So it it, it modulates the frequency and that's how it talks to your radio. Amplitude modulation is when you have the wave like this, but you modulate, the the voltage this way, the amplitude of the wave, okay, and that's why when you drive under the the power lines the AM gets staticky because it's screwing up the the amplitude. All right, so in one sense the medium that's trying to communicate the information is amplitude. In another sense it's its frequency, If you tune your radio to AM, you you can't hear the FM stations. Right? If you tune to the FM, you can't hear the AM. Well, look, if you're on the the guilt, shame, discouragement channel, you are not going to hear what God is saying to you. The disciples experienced this. They were in this boat, after, after they, Jesus had fed however many thousand people, 5,000 men, plus all the kids and stuff, women, and, and he says, he gets a spiritual thought, he says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, right? And then Peter looks at John and says, we forgot the bread. <laughs> and John's like, I know, shut up. Maybe you won't notice. (laughs) Basically what's... And then then James jumps in, and James is like, you guys, God's mad at us because we forgot the bread. That's what they think. They're feeling this shame and condemnation because they forgot to bring bread. Now, I mean, they don't need to bring bread. Jesus just (laughs) multiplied (laughs) thousands of loaves of bread. I mean, he can make some bread appear. They don't need any bread. What he's talking about is some spiritual truth about how not to be wired into this world system, but they're on this other channel. They're expecting what God to say to be condemning. And when you expect that, it gets filtered through your heart and you, you hear something condemning, even if he's saying something totally different. That's pretty simple. So you you, you need to realize that the primary thing that God wants to talk to you about and connect with you about is His love. Now, so how do you deal with that? How do you relate to God on the basis of His love? And how do you receive more of it so that you can be changed? Look Look at 1 Corinthians 13. How can I get back to the basics and receive more of the love of God? Well... If God is love, then one of the things you want to do is is meditate on the love of God. And that just means think about it. But I say think about it. So, one of the things you can do is, is think about what love is like. Well, how do we know what love is like? Well, Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. And so you can, so it says charity in the King James, but it means love, it's agape. So it says God is agape. So is it legal to say that, that to put God in there? Yeah. yeah, it is. Now, are we supposed to do these things? Sure. Usually you read this at weddings, right? And it's like, yeah. just make sure you do this and everything will be great. Well, yeah. <laughs> if you just be perfect like God. Everything will be, you won't ever have a fight and you you know. I mean, <laughs> That's funny to me. The the point of this really is to recognize that this is who God is. If you'll realize that, you'll you'll have a better marriage. Let's read it in in verse 4. God suffers long. What's that mean? He's willing to put up with your stuff for a long time. And he's kind. God is not jealous. Now, I know the Bible says that he's a jealous God. It's a different, it's a different thing. He's jealous for you, not jealous of you. So he, he wants to be in relationship with you, and he doesn't want you to be focused on a whole bunch of stuff that will kill you. But he's not, he's not sweating in heaven because you love your kids. He's not upset that you love your spouse. In fact, if you put your kids and your spouse first, that is putting God first. God's not jealous. He's, uh, God vaunteth not himself. Boy, that is an amazing thing to think about. You know, God is not, He's humble. He's so humble. He came to the earth as a little baby. He's not puffed up. That's the same thing, He's not proud. God does not behave himself unseemly. He does not seek his own. He's not trying to get everything himself the right way. He's he's trying to put you first. You know, I mean, if it was... God could easily just wipe this whole place out and start it over. But he's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about you. God thinketh no evil That means that God always thinks the best about you. I mean that's amazing to think about. I know I don't always think the best of me. Sometimes I think evil of my own self. This says this says love and God is love. He doesn't think any evil. He's not anticipating that you're going to fail. He's not thinking about all the wrong things that you're going to do. Now, does he know about it? Sure, but that's not his focus. God rejoices not in iniquity, but he rejoices in the truth. God bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. He endures all things. God never fails. Hallelujah. Everybody say, God never fails. That's the truth. So you can think about those things. Read that chapter and think about it. Another thing you can do is pray Ephesians 17. Let's just read this. We did this the other day, but let's read it again. Ephesians 3, 17 through 21. says this, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. So you pray this for yourself. I pray, God, let Christ dwell in my heart by faith. Let me be rooted and grounded in love. Let me understand with all the saints the breadth and height and length and depth and know the love of Christ. Again, that's experience. Let me experience the love of Christ, which passes mere intellectual knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. So you can pray that for yourself. I've prayed that for myself probably hundreds of times, and it works. Now, just a practical piece of advice I would pray that, and then I would sit there like, with anticipation, like, okay, am I going to get kids, you know, because I, I expect an answer, which is good. Uh, but sometimes I was thinking I need like a booming voice from heaven or I need something like that and, and, or I need to feel something. And, and uh, God had to show me that, all right, you prayed that, right, Max? I'm like, yeah, okay. So, so you, remember, you remember later when you were studying the Scripture and you got a revelation. I'm like, yeah. God's like, okay, that was me answering the prayer. Does that make sense? Yes. So it's not always immediate, and it's not always some giant emotional thing. Sometimes it is, but if you get if you if you ask if you ask for a revelation of the love of God, and then you never you never study this, it's hard for God to talk to you, so He can give you the revelation. So don't get legalistic about it and be like, well, I didn't read the Bible, so God can't show me that he loves me. No, I mean, God can do, he can do a million things. But a lot of times in my own life, the way I've received revelation of the love of God is just him explaining Scripture to me. Yes. And so it took me a minute to realize that, that, okay, that was an answer to the prayer that I prayed. And that helped me. It also helped me, you know, I used to... Um, Because everybody, hear everybody say this, you know, praying in tongues. Now, if you don't pray in tongues, you don't know what that is. I have a series about it. But anyway, it's just a way to connect with God. So I was, I I would pray in tongues because everybody's like, you need to pray in tongues. That's how you get revelation. So I'd pray in tongues. Then I'd be like, where is it? Okay. And so I thought, this isn't working. I must not be doing it right. Is that raw honest i mean that's what i thought and then but then god showed me he's like you know the other day when you were in the shower and you had this revelation from the scripture i'm like yeah i'm like well that you know that was it happened however long after i was praying but that was the answer to the prayer so sometimes there's seed time and harvest yeah. and so the the Time can get you confused and make you think that planting the seed didn't matter, but planting the seed does matter. All right, letter C. What else do you do to receive the love of God? Minister to somebody even if you feel empty, trusting God will fill you as you give it away. Sometime we're we're waiting, you know, we're worried about getting filled up and and i I mean i I don't believe in just ministering from empty all the time but sometimes you can get so self-focused that you're just waiting for everything to be fixed in your life before you'll go love on somebody and if you do that you're like a dead sea and that's why you're so salty and you're hard to drink so anyway all right so give away something number four practice turning this is a this is a powerful thing bill johnson teaches that i've I put into effect in my own life and it really helps so practice turning your love and affection toward the lord throughout the day now he says that and it's like what does that mean (laughs) so for me what it means is this is, is i'll just take time like 20 seconds throughout the day sometimes to just pause and i'll just i'll just turn my thinking, and I'll turn my heart to the Lord, and I'll just say, Jesus, I love you. Yeah. Not always out loud, sometimes out loud, sometimes at Walmart out loud, and people look at you funny, but <laughs> anyway, so I'll just do that, and as I, as I turn my attention to the Lord and think about how much I love the Lord, uh, it takes practice to do this, but I can, I can sense his presence filling me and touching me when I do that. I didn't always so I had to I had to learn that. You learn that through worship usually. But once you practice it, you can access that pretty quickly if you just if you just take time to turn your heart towards the Lord. And you just do that, you know, throughout the day and and that helps you keep yourself in the love of God. Now I don't I don't profess to do that perfectly at all. Sometimes I keep myself in the anxiety of God, but that was, a, that was a joke. Nobody laughed. But anyway, um, all right, number five, recognize, lastly, recognize that God's love for you is totally unconditional. It's not predicated on anything you do or don't do. It's an irrevocable decision that he's made that you're powerless to change. You can't change it. There's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. There's also nothing you can do to make God love you any less. There are things you can do to experience His love more. And there are things you can do that cause you to experience His love less. But you can't get confused and think that you're the one turning the love of God on and off. The love of God really is like a big waterfall. And it's, all, it's like Niagara Falls. I mean, it's, it's an unstoppable force of nature. And it's always there, and it's always on, and it's always pouring out. And so if you, need a, if you want a glass of water, or maybe you want a shower, how many of you understand you can't turn on or off Niagara Falls? I mean, you can't, you can't touch it. It's, it's beyond reckoning. But if you stand over here, you can be dry. But if you'll go position yourself underneath there, you can get soaked pretty quick. All right. Is that all right? All right, last, last point. This is kind of the same line, but I was just thinking about this. You know, the Bible says that God's a consuming fire. It says that in Hebrews 12. How many of you believe God's a consuming fire? Well, it says it, so we ought to, we ought to believe it. But do you know that he, the the consuming fire fell on the burning bush. Moses saw that bush, right? But what was unique about the bush was that even though it was being burned by this consuming fire, the bush wasn't consumed. Yeah. Hallelujah. Says that, right? Mm -hmm. I think that means a bunch of stuff that I've thought about before. But for for today, the the point is this: is how many of you want to burn for Jesus? You want to burn with love for the Lord. Well, you need to realize that the thing to burn on and all this, well, let me just read it. We long to burn for Jesus and live powerfully for Him. For this to happen, you must live from the fire of His love, not your human zeal or effort. If it's the fire of His love touching you, you'll burn, but you won't be consumed. You'll be able to burn on. All right, let's all stand up.